on today's show. What I've picked up on in, in talking with pastoral leaders that are out there in the field, we need to measure impact beyond what we are actually offering. Uh, and what I mean by that is this. I am burdened, Scott, recently from my travels in asking the question, uh, to what extent what you're offering is making a transformative impact. Another way of asking the question is, are you doing what you really think you're doing with your materials and your teaching? Stay tuned. Hello, and welcome to the Missions Podcast, the show that explores your hard questions on missions, theology, and practice to help goers think and thinkers go. Something's wrong with this picture. I'm your only host today. Alex Kochman is somewhere else. Uh, I'll let him explain what he's doing. I think he's snowed in or they're sicked in, but I get the privilege of hosting the show today, and we're glad to have you uh, wherever you're wherever you're tuning in from as we talk about things that matter to global missions. And we're excited this this morning, it's morning where I'm at, to have uh, a, a guest that I think is really important to talking about theological education. So I want to introduce for us Dr. Michael Ortiz. He's the director of the International Council for the Evangelical Theological Training. He's also VP for Global Ministries and associate professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. And uh, so, Michael, welcome to the show. Good to have you on here. Did I get everything right about what you're currently doing? I think you got it pretty much right. Yeah, it's actually not evangelical theological training. It's education at the end. So it's I set. Uh, so that's <sighs> just a little minor correction. But you you got you were you scored about 90. I was so close. There, so. <laughs> I even had it right in my notes. But, you know, the, see, this is why we need Alex, because Alex gets all those little details right. I, You're doing you know, great. Yeah, it's good to be with you, Scott. Thanks for the invitation. Uh, We're going to miss Alex today, but uh, we'll we'll make it fly nevertheless, right? The truth is when Alex gets on the show and I, you know, we can talk about him because he's not even going to listen to this. Uh, You know, he just likes to throw in Latin phrases and try to make it seem more intellectual than what it needs to be. And so, you know, the truth is, you know, you and I, we can we can go on just fine without him. We'll 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 say we missed him, but we will will, in practice. It'll be just fine. uh, so tell us, tell us, a little, <laughs> tell us a little bit about your ministry. I know that you were in law, then you got into theology and missions training. So explain that kind of path. What, what led you from practicing law to going into training ministers from all over the world? Yeah, I came to Christ in my early 30s, and I was an, an attorney then and um, really focused in on what the world uh, was to offer for me and for my family. And uh, that radically uh, shifted my thinking about what was of value, uh, knowing now Christ. And then we ended up actually starting a church as brand new believers. My wife and I came to Christ at the same time. So uh, we started a church in Florida where we're from. And um, from there, the Lord just continued to challenge me uh, in the area of teaching and training and uh, one thing led to another, ended up starting uh, Dallas Theological Seminary from the Tampa Bay area, where they were offering some extension sites. And that's the part of the floor that I lived. And then from there, one thing led to another. A few years later, I found myself with a U-Haul truck fully loaded with all of my stuff, my two dogs, my kids, everything else, and moving to Dallas to to finish my THM there in Dallas. And then from there, went back to Florida to continue to practice law and uh, do missions. And my missions work at that point was focused in the area of theological education and training 
and helping um, Bible colleges and seminaries in Spanish-speaking countries, especially Cuba, uh, but also other parts of Latin America and even in Spain. So I'm traveling there using my legal background, my, my uh, law practice as a way to support uh, this missions habit that the Lord had been uh, developing in me. And then from there, uh, ended up uh, doing a PhD in Latin America in theological education. Uh, my family's background is Cuban, so that might tie some of this together for us. So my parents immigrated from Cuba back in the late 1950s as Fidel Castro was taking over the country, the island. Mm. And then from, from there, I grew up in that kind of home and, and knew Spanish, learned Spanish at a very young age, learned Spanish before English. So the Lord sort of began to bring all this together for me in my life after coming to Christ and studying at Dallas Seminary, doing a PhD. And then from there, Dallas Seminary called me as I was finishing that uh, doctoral work to uh, come here to Dallas Seminary. This is where I am right now. I'm in Dallas. I'm in my office here at DTS. And I was asked to teach in the missions department, but also start the Spanish program uh, here at the master's level at DTS. And then I said came on a few years later. But that's kind of a little bit of a snapshot, uh, Scott, of, of how the Lord, uh, of course, there's so many details we can go into, but that's how I, yeah. in, in essence, got to the point where I am now. There, there's a tension out there in in missiology and the missiological world, as I'm sure you're very well aware of. On the one side, there's those that that see the statistics, you know, and and there's lots of organizations. Um, one of my good friends, uh, Darren Carlson with TLI, I mean, they're always putting out big statistics about the need for training uh, amongst yeah. uh amongst pastors in the global South, particularly, and the huge lack of training. So on one side, you have people that are saying, hey, these pastors in these remote places or in the global South need more theological training. There's a lack of it. And so we need to do all that we can to make sure that we get them trained so they're effective in ministry. On the other side of that discussion are those that, you know, to be I'm probably being overly generalistic on this, but just say, hey, we give them the Bible. We start doing Bible studies together and between the Bible and the Holy Spirit, they're good to go. And we're just we need to let missionaries kind of back off, let them develop their own way of thinking that is culturally appropriate and isn't muddled up with all of our you know North American nonsense. And uh, hey, that's how we're going to get the pure church and how it's going to really spread. So I, I, setting the table with that, what are you seeing in theological education? And, uh, you know, and do you see that tension and, and, and how, how are you trying to approach that, that question of do we need more theological education overseas? We do. We do see, especially in Africa, some in Latin America, some in Asia as well. You're talking about the global south, majority world context. But we, we do see, um, and as I visit uh, some of these places, over the last, in the fall season, I traveled to seven countries and four continents and spent a lot of time with folks that are involved, both in formal and non-formal type of theological education and training. But even those within the context, what they seem to be expressing, at least to me, uh, is the need for training theological education that is able to equip pastors to think soundly about the Bible, bibliology, and think soundly about their doctrine and their theology. In some of these places, you see a more charismatic-leaning type of uh, development of pastors. So you might have a, a young man who maybe graduated from high school, but all of a sudden he's come to Christ in a town or mm -hmm. a small village, and he's the one leading the church. Uh, and, and he's leading it uh, as best as he can. 
but he has no no background in training and formation. Uh, and, and so he's he's doing he's leading this by the Holy Spirit. And, and we don't want to uh, limit the work of the Holy Spirit. We, we know that. But at the same time, uh, we need to find a balance between allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do with these young people that are leading these brand new congregations all over the world. And also balancing that with some some biblical theological development and training. And it, it is not just the biblical and theological training. But there's some practical aspects of ministry that they also need to be aware of. And, and those those things uh, need to come together some, somehow. Uh, the, 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 the part of the challenge, Scott, also, quite frankly, is that um, there's not a lack of training materials and training programs. Mm. Uh, there's a there's a ton of stuff out there, and in some of my talks, when I go out and speak about this topic, I, I ask my audience. I, I say, please do not create more a new a new program, a new curriculum. Please, unless you really have assessed why you need to do that, I am always looking at ways to collaborate and share resources and programs with those that are out there already doing it. They've already field tested it. They've already developed it. They've already asked hard questions about their programs. Uh, what can we do about collaborating with some of those and, and, and having those that already exist increase their capacity. So if they're able to use their program to train a hundred pastors a year, what can we do to come alongside of them and help them now train 500 or a thousand pastors a year? And so those are some of the questions that I, that come up in my mind as you raise mm -hmm. this, this very important um, topic about pastoral training and what do they really need to be effective? And what is the balance between the Holy Spirit work and 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 training? Well, I think we're on the same page as far as like looking at this need of for training. You know, I, I can remember, and you probably do too. I mean, you you got into ministry a little bit later. I was, you know, right out of Bible college, and there was there was at that time not everyone was going into seminary. And yeah. it wasn't a foregone conclusion that I would go to seminary. It was kind of last minute decision. Thankfully, I had some mentors that really pushed me that way. But there was an impulse uh, to, hey, you know, you got a Bible college degree, get out there, start doing the work, don't waste time. You know, people are dying and going to hell, get busy yeah. doing God's work. And um, I'm so thankful that we that we slowed down just a little bit. I wish I'd even slowed down more, to be honest with you, and uh, and been more equipped. But I, I see that today. You know, I've got young people that I talk to that are just eager to get out and start doing ministry and and not taking the time to adequately adequately prepare. Um, I don't think, from what I hear on the field, that the issue is that these pastors aren't aren't wanting to slow down and be equipped. Um, maybe it is. What are you seeing as some of the issues and barriers for theological training in you know some of these difficult to reach places or majority world uh, uh, situations where there isn't. Um, a Dallas Theological Seminary right around yeah. the corner. Financial is always a big issue, right? Um, how do you how do you uh, uh, equip these uh, folks that are out there uh, as pastors, and uh, how do you pay for it? it? Do they contribute to it? Many of them cannot, so the financial piece is is a limiting uh, access point. Uh, I think also the question of contextualization. And how is it that you're offering mm -hmm. material, not just with the right illustrations and examples, 
but with the type of delivery and content that the pastor in the field really is able to grasp it, own it him mm-hmm. or herself and able to use it within context. So I think that we we tend to come into these settings uh, with programs, again, curriculum that we have developed and we, we see it as really sound. Uh, and it could be, it's, it usually is very sound in terms of a biblical theological foundation. But uh, how transformative is it within context? Well, one of the things that I say about uh, programs and, and materials is that we need to measure impact beyond mm. what we are actually offering. Uh, and what I mean by that is this, is, is I, as some of my travels recently, what I've picked up on in, in talking with pastoral leaders that are out there in the field, uh, when you start to press into them a little further and start asking more critical questions about transformative impact uh, of, of what they've learned and how they've used it, uh, you, you, you tend to see that there's some limitations there. Uh, there's been little to no impact transformative in their own lives. And then you're asking questions about their churches and the same type of thing mm-hmm. and, and, and society as well. So I, I, am, I am burdened, Scott, recently from my travels in asking the question, uh, to what extent what you're offering is making a transformative impact? Another way of asking the question is, are you doing what you really think you're doing with your materials and your <laughs> teaching? Okay, mm-hmm. that's a big question. I interact yeah. with with hundreds of non formal programs uh, all over the world. They contact me because of my work here at Dallas Seminary or through ISET, and I sort of interview them. I ask questions about their programs, the materials, how they deliver it, and, that, and so on and so forth. My last question usually is, um, how are you measuring effectiveness in your program? Mm-hmm. How are you measuring that you're actually doing what you think you're doing? And, and I, I, I say that up to 98% at least uh, do not do any of that. And I think that when, we, when I'm talking, I'm not, I'm not just talking about quality assurance. You know, I'm not talking about accreditation right. or right. validation or so on. I am asking the question, uh, are we really making lifelong transformative change within those that we're training within their churches or within their contexts? Um, I was talking to a, 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 uh, a leader of a of training program in Zambia back in October, uh, late, early October. And um, he said to me, he said, Michael, um, we've been at this for about 12 years, and we're now going back and looking at pastors that we've trained over, over that period of time. And what we are discovering is, some, is that some of them cannot even express a biblical foundation for the gospel. They don't know how to express mm-hmm. it from a biblical basis. And uh, he said, we need to go back and really look at what we're doing and, and reframe some of that. So I think those, uh, that, that, not so much a, a barrier, but it is a barrier in terms of doing what we really think we ought to be doing. Yeah, it's interesting. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine uh, just yesterday and we were talking, you know, this is this coming Sunday. I don't think this is when this episode will drop. Maybe it is. Um, but in while we're recording, the coming Sunday is, is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday. And so I'm thinking about this issue of life and really I was trying to go deeper in my thinking about it of just the the doctrine of the Imago Dei and and like why yeah. we don't get because we don't get that right we get so many other things wrong and and you know when I was talking to him about this and what I was trying to do to my con- with my congregation and then it hit me you know it's like uh because I'm a te- because I, I think my spiritual gifting is teaching everything 
uh, teaching is the solution to everything. And, you know, like if you got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And then, you know, my second thought to him was, um, I know the solution isn't always teaching, but I also know that the solution isn't less teaching. Um, So so I I think it's important as we think through, you know, this theological education that we recognize, you know, there's such a need. Teaching alone isn't going to necessarily solve the problem, but is looking at what's the impact. What are you trying to do? How is that going to, how do you measure that? And and this is a question, I I don't want to get off this topic too much, but like, I want to go a little bit deeper in it. Like when you have, missionaries that are coming from the outside and I, at ABWE, we have this, you know, so many of my friends who are in theological education have sure. this where, you know, we sure. have past like for instance, you know, here, I, I have a little bit of a background in China, uh, in Chinese culture, uh, worked with Muslims. Um, but it, let's just say you were to bring me to Tanzania to teach. I have very little understanding of what what's going on there. How yeah. would I even be able to measure effectiveness and what it looks like other than what they tell me it's, what's happening. You know, so how do you, how do you kind of wrestle through that with theological education of when you've got outsiders doing it, are they even able to best understand like how, if it's impacting, how how are you trying to address that problem? I I think one of the ways to, to address it is, is simply to look at the, uh, begin to look at, and this, this needs to be measured over time, Scott, as well. There's only so Mm -hmm. much that you can Mm -hmm. measure immediately. Uh, There's some of that, um, but I would say two things. One is uh, part part of moving forward in this area of, of realizing what kind of impact are we really making in the context and within the pastor's life in the church and so on. Part of it is 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 uh, the mentor or accountability coach or someone who's out in the field. Uh, not, because what happens oftentimes is that we are very intent on delivering content, uh, but we're mm-hmm. short sometimes on caring for the character. Uh, development. Mm. And that's, that's where, um, Mm. as I speak to, again, uh, missionaries and mission, mission agencies that have a lot of training material out in the field, and especially in the global South, as we're talking about, uh, this is an area that they find uh, lacking today. Uh, If you ask them, they will say, we need more facilitators, we need people that are on the ground with these people that we're training, and and walk with them longer than over the course of a weekend or a week or whatever, however Mm -hmm. we deliver the, the material. So I think that's an that's an important aspect to it over the shorter term is having someone that could help uh, assess at least anecdotally how they're seeing mm-hmm. an impact and changes within those that we're training and teaching. Some of these things, however, you could measure over a longer period of time. So uh, how are we measuring um, family, uh, divorce rates, uh, crime, youth, uh, if you look at statistics for youth that are out there, um, I mean, I, I hear it again as I travel. Our, our youth are are in are in deep trouble in many places. Uh, suicide rates, uh, not wanting to be connected to the church, um, all sorts of other things that are happening with them. And that's the future of the church. That's the future of the church, not mm-hmm. just here in North America, but worldwide. And and there are all sorts of statistics that are out there. And some of these are even kept by the government. So. I, I would say to us, as we're looking at theological education and its real impact on some of these contexts, um, I would say two things. One is, how do we, how are we setting up facilitators, mentors, coaches, whatever word you want to use, that will walk with those that we're training, but also, um, how are we able to measure impact, trans, transformative impact within those in the church through uh, means that society is also measuring? So those kind of numbers that I just mentioned a mo- moment ago, uh, the church measures some of that sometimes, but also 
uh, culture, government, and other entities measure it as well. Maybe we need to start looking at some of that and see how we're making progress over time. That's so important. I mean, and that, that goes even back to the conversation I was just describing. And we were talking about how you, know, you just say a phrase like that we assume in Christian Western society of like abortion is wrong. And we forget that there's layers and layers of theological concepts and philosophy that's built off that and principles that are built off that they're all undergirding that principle. And so you have a generation that if we're not teaching those things, and then you have the old gray hairs that are like abortions wrong. And the young kids are like, why, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and they give a million ethical reasons why it's not wrong. And without the theological bolstering that we just assume in our culture, because it's, you know, built up over time and over lots and lots of, of teaching. And if we're not continuing to do that, then you don't have anything to hold that idea up. And yes. the same thing would be true in places where the gospel isn't yet, or it's just an, in, an infancy that though that kind of culture, theological ground laying has to be built um, to produce the kind of life ethic um, that, that we would say is a, is a Christian one and reflective of the gospel. Yeah. And, and this is something too, Scott, that as I think of, of what we're talking about here, um, you know, we're talking about training programs and curriculum and so on, but, I, but there's also, there are a few, in a few areas, what I'm seeing is the development of what's called a, a regional training hubs, uh, mm. where it is not just a singular uh, non-formal training program for a pastor that's involved, but also you have uh, churches in the community. You have probably maybe some Bible colleges, seminaries that are in the area, other ministries that may be involved in the area. And, and there are some that are starting to create these regional or local hubs where it's a more integrated, a whole view of training of leaders for the church within the context. And uh, what the value of that is, is touching on your point a moment ago, is that then you have access to some of the more formal uh, training programs and teachers and, and, and curriculum that's available through local Bible colleges and seminaries. And I've seen this happen where, where, where there's a greater, uh, there seems to be a greater, uh, greater movement towards how can we work together, the different sectors of training and theological education, how do we work together better? for the sake of the local church and building up uh, future leaders for the church in a more holistic, integral uh, way that's effective over time. And, and that's, I think that's a, a significant move forward. Um, it requires a lot of work. It requires a lot of mm -hmm. interaction and dialogue and community building and trust and relationship building between these different entities or groups or ministries that are involved in these regional hubs, but I think it's, it's, it's a, it's a positive way forward. And if we can sustain that over time, we'll say we will likely see greater long-term impact in these cultures. So this might be a good time to talk about ISET. So what is that and, and how is it trying to help accomplish some of these goals? ISET is, uh, as you said earlier, it stands for Inter the International Council for Evangelical Theological Education. It's been around for 40 plus years. Uh, most of what ISET's I mission involves quality and collaboration. Uh, how do we how do we pursue quality and collaboration, community building uh, among those that are doing training for the sake of the church everywhere worldwide? Uh, and we we do that through a number of uh, different ways. One of the greatest things, one of the greatest ways that we do that is simply by our our global gatherings that we've had over time. So we've had 18 global consultations in 40 plus years. The last one was in Izmir, Turkey, November of 2022. We had 500 people plus there from 80 plus countries 
representing nearly 300 training ministries from around the world. Uh, and, and on that one, we, we intentionally focused in on the, the formal, non-formal topic. So we had a consultation in 2022 that involved the, the, the theme was formal and non-formal theological education beyond dialogue. So I said as a place where we certainly look at different areas of quality assurance and what does quality look like in theological education, uh, but also we're very interested in, in how do we build connectedness and community and collaboration uh, among those that are doing the training. And I said also mm-hmm. is, is it represents uh, seven regional associations that accredit uh, and not they don't only do accreditation, but they do a number of services for about a thousand schools around the world. And we represent every region through that. So uh, that's the work that I said does. And that's, I've been the director there since 2019. Uh, and it's been a great ministry and looking forward to seeing what God is going to do as we continue to move forward there. So from your vantage point and on recognizing the limitation of that, obviously, but you know, you're, you're very involved and I said, it's very involved. You said a thousand training centers around the world. I mean, that's incredible when you think about the scope of that. What yeah. are some of the things that you're hearing that, uh, really encourage you um, uh, if you have stories or, or places in the world where you're just seeing things happening that are just that bring a lot of joy to you and to the team there. Um, and what are some of the areas that you're like, hey, this is an area of concern? I was just in in Kenya. Uh, in Kenya, this was really encouraging, uh, Scott. Uh, we had our Africa uh, Association for ISET. Uh, bring together, um, and they work together with the Africa Evangelical Alliance as part of the World Evangelical Alliance. It's their African uh, group. So um, ACTI, which is our African association, and the Africa Evangelical Alliance came together, and they had a continental-wide gathering on formal and non-formal theological education for for Africa. Uh, and I attended that that gathering. Um, what I found I- encouraging was the the movement towards really candid conversations about what is needed in the field. So there were moments during the, during the event where some that were in the, in the audience that as we were doing Q and A's and so on, uh, some in the audience would, would stand up and, and just simply say, uh, we, we get what you're talking about in terms of education and training, but can I share my story about what we need in the field right now. And, and some of those uh, moments opened yeah. up meaningful uh, interaction with them. I, I, I tend to, and as I traveled over the fall and interacted with a number of people that are doing formal and non-formal training, what I see happening is this, this greater movement towards uh, candid conversations, openness to explore ways to build community and collaboration. Uh, the work that's required, Scott, as we've been talking about, the work that's required to train church leaders around the world nowadays, especially in the global south, that that kind of work is not going to get done by uh-huh. any one ministry, any one sector, any one training program. We have to be looking at this from a more collaborative, community-based type of uh, approach. And I see that um, I see that type of uh, environment developing uh, further, and I'm encouraged by that. And I think I said plays a, a vital role in, in continuing to open up uh, avenues of conversation, avenues of potential collaboration. We don't we don't want to force the collaboration. That's not part of what we do, but we do want to set the table for that and, and invite the right people to that uh, for that purpose. So I think that's I, I see that as a trend globally. 
that mm-hmm. is uh, very promising um, uh, along the way. I think the other part that I, I find um, I- encouraging, but still has a long way to go, as I look at uh, training and theological education globally, uh, too often times it is led by uh, folks that are a little bit older, uh, the older generation of leaders. Um, I, I, I want to see us uh, be able to bring in uh, a younger group, uh, an emerging set of leaders, perhaps. And that requires intentionality on our part. Um, and, and that, to me, is a little bit of a, of a challenge. Uh, as I go to some of these gatherings, um, a lot of the people that are speaking, that are leading, are, are of an older generation, let's say that. Uh, I think we need to be looking at how do we bring in some of the younger ones. Now, I was in Indonesia in the fall. And I was at the WEA, the World Evangelical Alliance's Emerging Leaders Summit. Um, and there were a number of people there from different parts of the world that were younger. I was probably one of the oldest people, <laughs> my oldest person there. Um, mm-hmm. But it was exciting for me to to listen to them and interact with them. I had a chance to sit around a table for three days in a row with uh, young leaders in different parts uh, and they were asking me, they, they wanted to hear from me. They wanted to ask me mm-hmm. questions about theological education and training. They were intrigued. Um, but see, th- those are tables that we need to intentionally set. And I, I hope that I set can play a role in that. We have our next global gathering in, in March of 2025. We will start it online uh, in March of 24, just in a couple of months, and have a year-long buildup. But one of the things I'm asking my team to do is how do we bring in uh, younger leaders and and have them um, develop community with us and have a, an intergenerational approach to theological education and training. There, there's a lot we can learn from them. There's a lot they can learn from us. But I see that as one of the challenges as I see, as I look down the road a little bit, um, we need to be more intentional with that. That's interesting. Um, it, it kind of makes sense. You know, you think about when things slow down so you have enough time to be involved in something like that. But getting getting the people to the table, especially in such a that kind of a setting is is a, is a challenge. What are some yeah. of the needs you see that that are out there? Like I would imagine financially that there's a there's a need. What are the, some of the other big needs you're seeing in theological education? If you were able to, you know, to ma- wave a magic wand and have all the seminary students in, in North America sitting in front of you and put a charge in front of them, what would it be? I think it would be more than anything else um, to be be thinking uh, of your training uh, in a in a globally mission way. Uh, be thinking about it from from a missiological standpoint, um, and, and by that I mean how is it that what we're you're working on, what you intend to do. Uh, is really fitting within the the missio day, the work of God, and how we can advance that, uh, as opposed to being myopic in your thinking. Uh, I think we need to be thinking from a global perspective on what is needed within the church worldwide and what is our role in fitting into that. Now, as I think about that, also though, however, I, I you know we we need to be thinking about what are some of the current realities of the church. One of the things that I do say is that the future of theological education will depend on its ability to understand the current realities and the future troubles of the church. So that mm. sense of connectedness to the church and, and the current realities, 
what are some of the issues that the church is really facing um, in different parts of the world today? Now, a lot of it has to do with government uh, and, and, and some political issues that are going on. Some of it has to do with family. Some of it has to do with youth. Some of it has to do with uh, even orality and oral teaching and training. Uh, so these are areas that the church is currently facing. And at times, theological education is somewhat disconnected from those current realities. Now, mm. tied to that as well is looking ahead, future troubles of the church, uh, theological education and training, and those that are involved, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, they've been rather reactive than proactive. So that requires an extra layer of work and effort, uh, Scott. Mm -hmm. uh, but not only, mm -hmm. not only am I looking for theological education to, to be able to address current realities, but how can we help the church anticipate what's coming down the road? And how can we help right. those that are we're training be equipped to understand those those and uh, those future troubles, as I say. And, and then the last part related to that as well is just being able to think through how do we develop um, uh, generational leaders for the church, a movement that is sustainable over time. Uh, and that's that to me think that to me involves some of this topic, uh, the topic of next generation leaders, emerging leaders, and so on and so forth. But we need to have our pastors and our leaders in our churches be thinking about this in the long term, uh, and that they, if they're committed to this, let's let's help them be equipped uh, to be in the ministry for not just three or four or five years, but in the over the course of a long term, and be able to help them do that. And I think theological education has a role to play in that, not only as we train people for the ministry, but also ongoing training and ongoing work that we can do to encourage our pastors and help them continue to stay faithful in, in the work. So those are some of the things that I, as I look at the church and as I look at theological education, current realities, future troubles, long-term and generational impact as well. Yeah. So much of theological training is looking backwards, you know, and, and necessarily yeah. so, you know, we look back to what theologians have written. We look back to how theological things have developed. Uh, we look back to the Bible, you know, and uh, try to understand that world. And there, there's nothing wrong with that. We need, we, there's nothing wrong with that. We yeah, no. Yeah, we, we have to right. do that. And, and that's, know, part of our, that's part of our foundation, our history of tradition and so on and so forth. So we have to do that. But, but as we do that, are, are we understanding what the current realities are of the churches? And, and, and in context, context will drive some of that too, right? But current realities, what are the it's future troubles? How do we, how do we help anticipate what's coming up now ahead? Yes. And what I'm hearing is we need to look back and, and build that that robust theological knowledge and understanding so we can look at the present, understand what's happening now, but also have the, the leadership vision to be able to look down the road and say, where, where, where will this go? And how do we, yeah. how do we help prepare the, prepare the ground for what's coming? Yeah. The part of the, and let me just say this too, Scott, I mean, what I, what I'm sharing, um, I, I think is important and vital for, for the church to be well served by theological education is kind of what I'm saying here. My concern is that um, most in leadership, especially outside the U.S., most in leadership in theological education today have little margin in their lives as they lead these mm. training programs. They have little margin to be thinking, right. not never mind long-term or future troubles of the church, but be thinking about current realities. Uh, some of them are, are, are just are, are trying to uh, address their current needs within the seminary or Bible college. 
So one yeah. of the things, yeah, and, and, and a lot of these leaders of these Bible colleges and seminaries outside the West, and we have the luxury, I have the luxury of having a nice office here at Dallas Seminary. I've got a, you know, a, a, a salary and, and, and a library. I have access to all sorts of things. Whereas many key leaders of, of Bible colleges and seminaries, they don't have a, any of that or some of it right. limited. And some of them are, are multivocational. Uh, they might have another job or they might be pastoring a church or they might have other cultural layers that also put pressure on their lives that creates li- that helps to limit their margin. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that uh, we're doing in ISET and I hope to do with our key partners and uh, associates and affiliates of ISET is, is helping to uh, create environments where in times where some of these key leaders are able to sit back a little bit. Um, even pull them out of their seminary for a few days and help them be thinking through uh, not just their colleges and Bible colleges and seminaries, but also what's going on in their context and how can we help them be create that margin for them a little bit where they can do some of that. But otherwise, uh, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Otherwise we, we are going to have a deep struggle globally in theological education. If we don't create that kind of margin for our key leaders. That's beautiful. I love the vision. I'm thankful for what, what you're doing. And uh, if people want to find out more about you, or they want to find out more about Dallas seminary, if they want to find out more about ISET, how can they do that? Well, they can go to our webpage for ISET. It's um, ISET.info. Um, we can do, you can do that. Also, you can send me an email at michael.ortiz at iset.info, michael.ortiz at iset.info, or Dallas Seminary here. You can reach me at mortiz at dts.edu. Thank you so much, Michael. And if you're listening, please reach out. You can see more in the liner, in the, in the show notes on Instagram. Also, we just encourage you, if this shows a blessing to you in any way, please go uh, to your streaming service of choice. And uh, just make sure to go ahead and give us a five-star review and a review that really helps us get this show out in front of the, in in front of the masses and in front of people that need to find this kind of information. Thank you so much, Michael, for joining us. And until next time for the missions podcast.